This is Father Bonaventure Chapman. And this is Father Patrick Briscoe. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoyed the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you find your podcasts. Father Patrick, it is mid-September, and there's something quite exciting coming up, which our viewers might know or our listeners might know about. But uh, what are you excited about soon? I certainly hope that they know about it, but it's all that I'm sleeping, eating, living, and breathing <laughs> at the moment. It's the Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage, okay. which is going to be a fabulous event. Um, I'm really thrilled about it because, of course, for everyone who knows us and knows the Dominicans, they know that the rosary is an important part of our charism. It's an important part of our life. Uh, from the daily recitation of the rosary that takes place in our houses or the rosaries we wear on our habits, or hopefully the preaching of Dominicans on the rosary, people associate the Dominican order with the rosary, this devotion which the church has entrusted to us. And we've got this new way of spreading it, which I hope will be an annual event to take place just before the month of the rosary every year. That's right. Well, Dominicans, and we are associated with the rosary, particularly if people have seen many things, Our Lady of the Rosary, of course, celebrate this, moving up to this feast in, uh, in October. And then also rosaries, I think, if I get this right, before Vatican II or somewhere around there, um, could only be blessed by Dominicans for somewhere else. We have a special prayer. So this is a, a making this dangerous for Dominicans because you can stop a Dominican and ask for the Dominican rosary blessing. He may or may not know it. Usually it's in a little book. Um, some of us know it, some of us don't. But it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful uh, short, there's a short form. It's a long form too. It's a short form of the Dominican blessing of the rosary. So... Yeah, it's something that we care deeply about, we're supposed to preach about, and it's not something, you know, we hear a lot of preaching on. I suppose we're in the year of the Eucharist, but perhaps uh, perhaps an upcoming year might be year of the rosary or something. Maybe. We'll see, we'll see what the Holy Father decides. I mean, certainly for us, one thing that we noticed was with the change of uh, the abortion debate in our country after Dobbs, there was a move back to the States to emphasize things mm -hmm. on the local level. And one thing that we saw living here in Washington was how that impacted the National March for Life, which takes place and will continue to take place every January, it seemed like that had become the kind of de facto national Catholic gathering. Yeah. And so we wanted to do something. We wanted to put something together on a large scale at the heart of the church. So the, this pilgrimage is being held at the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, yeah. right? America's Catholic Church. Yeah. The shrine dedicated to Our Lady right here in our neighborhood in Brooklyn and Northeast D.C., uh, so we wanted to pick something uh, and establish an event that was at a, that, that was at a place that people would know, a place easy easy enough to get to, uh, but that would resonate with this desire to bring Catholics together around, especially our need for spiritual renewal in the country. So. Yeah. That's the shtick in a short bit. Yeah, and that's fine. And people want to look up, they can look at dominicanrosarypilgrimage.org or just type in Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage. Now, almost no one knows websites anymore. I think it's like phone numbers. No one knows phone numbers, they, except for that first time you send on a text. So in the same way, just type in Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage and you'll find us. They'll be linked in the down in the, the show notes and other things like that. But... Our discussion is not, as people know from reading the subject line, uh, DominicanRosaryPilgrimage.org, um, but rather the questions about how to deal with transgender ideology. And this is something that, um, well, is perennial, not hopefully as perennial as the rosary uh, is, but it seems to be something that we're always talking about and we're still struggling to make sense of in this country. And so we thought in this episode we'd offer our, some reflections on transgender ideology 
and how to how to deal with it. And both on the personal and the political level, all this, there's lots to say. Neither of us are particular experts on all the fields, but that's never going to stop a Dominican from pontificating or bringing in good accounts of virtue and vice and truth. So let's start off with um, transgender ideology. We talk about transgender, but what about transgender ideology? What's the what's the difference here between transgender and say transgender ideology? Right. I think the the place to begin is actually you know even though we're talking about ideas, mm. we're talking about people. That's good point. So so coming out of coming out of my life uh, as a as a priest, this is impacting souls all around us, and you know, and in some cases it's it's destroying the lives of our children. So this is not something that is just a merely academic discussion. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just an idea that can be debated like German pietist mm-hmm. idealism. Sure. Uh, this, which might actually in the end be right about a lot of things. Uh, and impacts lives. <laughs> we're, but, we're, but we're talking about something that, that is being experienced broadly that's a cultural trend that's all around us. So I had a, an extremely destabilizing encounter um, a few months ago where I mm-hmm. ran into someone who I hadn't seen for a while, someone that I knew well, someone that is an extremely devout Catholic, um, I asked him how his son was doing, and he said, well, actually, we just sent her off to college, and mm-hmm. she goes by name now, which is not his son's name, and shows me a picture of this child. Uh, and it was ex- it was extremely destabilizing. It, yeah. it just caught me completely off guard, yeah. and um, I, who am not usually want for words, I have many words to say about many things, uh, not all of them edifying, but, but I, I was just stuck. I hardly knew what to say. I'm even to to engage the conversation. So, so I think it's important that we mm-hmm. that we begin right, and that our listeners hear us saying we're talking about something that is a, that is a deeply pastoral issue that is affecting people all around us, and we're not coming at this conversation by any means uh, with any uh, any uh, with any distance. This is immediately That's, touching people in our lives. I think some, it seems hard to believe that anyone living in a city or around more than a thousand people has not experienced this, even amongst their friends or something. And what you say, this is, I think it's important. We're looking at what is this phenomena, what we're talking about. And I think you're right to divide between the personal and the kind of pastoral experience, but then the kind of political aspect. And we've done episodes on, um, we talked to Brandon Void about, um, about transgender and some things about dealing with apologetics and how to deal with things. In this one, it seems like taking a step back a minute and talking about it from a, a larger framework, and I think that's the ideological exactly. component, you know, that ideology. So transgender, of course, people probably know is the sense of gender as separate from sex or in some relation to sex, gender as a an expression of, of, of someone's masculinity or femininity, man or woman versus male and female as the sex. These terms, well, they're, they're tricky, but we can all agree that there is a difference between woman and female, since we don't think of lizard female lizards as women, um, and yet we might not be inclined to separate them as much. That's where this separation comes in with the ideological component, I'd say. And just for briefly, for those who hear ideology, ideology need not be necessarily a bad thing. It's just a construct about how to understand reality of things. But the worry about ideology is when ideology or the the conceptual framework, how we interpret the world, becomes so separate from the world itself. The best ideologies or best conceptions and constructions of the world are to bring out what's actually there. So we could talk about a Thomistic ideology in the sense of action potency, but that's dealing with what's there. You know, the idea is it brings out more of what's there. The concern about an ideology is when they get dangerous is when they actually hide what's really there. 
And that's our that's my concern at least between with transgender ideology is are you imposing something conceptual that's not actually there or are you bringing out something that is there that we didn't see before? Right, that's absolutely right. So this phrase, transgender uh, ideology, mm -hmm. has already made it to the list of phrases we're not allowed to say anymore. Oh, so this, this episode spring, has been canceled. So this, yeah, exactly. So this spring, the Associated Press ruled in its recent uh, update to the Stylebook wow. that newspapers following AP Style are not to say transgender ideology. Instead, they're talk to talk about transgender persons or trans people, um, making it clear that this is not just an uh, not not just a framework. So so it's a complete rejection mm -hmm. of what Father Bonaventure just said, and an insistence <laughs> and an insistence by the Associated Press that that this is not allowed. Well, but, but mm -hmm. of course this is wrong. This is yeah. this is in fact a philosophy. Transgender ideology is a philosophy, mm -hmm. um, a kind of knowing an expression of the universe around us. Um, so so it's important for us to respond knowing that mm. there's a philosophical claim being made, knowing that the, that these terms carry weight. And knowing knowing that the terms are contentious, and that it's okay to debate them in the public square, so transgender and ideology contain, you know, as as what Father Bonaventure was saying, an, an imposition actually on one's interpretation of reality. Yeah, and I, it, it, it is so strange to me to think of this. It's an Orwellian vision of Newspeak, where we actually say, "Hey, um, you're not allowed to call this an ideology, what have you." Um, because it's it's imposing its own framework, an ideology of speech that we get to cancel and get to say what things are, um, which oof just drives shivers through my you know through my through my veins I suppose or uh, that makes me crazy. Um, but so we're going to keep calling it transgender ideology because I think it is helpful um, to realize that um, it is basically since yesterday um, since everyone would have thought this as an ideology and that you actually have to force the language such as you don't. Because it is a strange conception of, of, of reality. It is a strange conception that you would have no necessary relationship to your body on this. But as you know, we've got to deal with this, both the AP Press and with people that we meet. So let's dig in a little bit on it and talk about, well, what are, how are we as, as good Catholics to, to deal with this and how, how can we address it? I think one of the brilliant parts about um, Thomism in general and like the gift we have is trying to bring out the best arguments or the or what's true in every position because Dominicans believe that people aren't evil entirely or crazy entirely or stupid entirely but that if someone believes something firmly there must be some kind of grasp of reality something tag on there or, but put it said this way ideology can't float entirely freely from reality. It's got to have some relation. And we've always thought there's this kind of phrase, sandad, um, which is used for Dominican <laughs> kind of things. And I've always found it helpful in these, in mm. situations of controversy, where you say, sometimes affirm, never deny, uh, always distinguish. And that's the kind of, of move on this. So maybe we could talk through when someone's addressing this issue, first how to think about it, and then how to encounter it in personal and and political realms about yeah, through this I think, lens. I think that's fantastic. So, so what, what should be the starting place? What, what would I, what would I want to affirm right away? Well, I want to affirm that people are not comfortable in their bodies. Mm -hmm. We see, we see this a thousand ways, right? This is part of what Instagram preys on us about, uh, thinking the, the deep insecurities we have about our appearance. Young people, when you're growing, there are many changes that are happening to your body that are biological, that can be extremely unsettling. Uh, 
so I think those are I think those are true mm-hmm. that that people can uh, and do feel radically uncomfortable even in their own skin, uh, and that growing up is difficult because of changes that one is experiencing in one's own body. Okay, yeah. so, so so I think those are true, and I think that the distress that children can sometimes feel is a is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Now, what that means, however, is a point where I where I have a lot of questions. Um, one yeah. one source that I love this is from Teresa Farnan's excellent deep dive into transgender ideology Ooh. in a recent issue of our Sunday Visitor. Oh, uh, it's who's the editor online. of that? <laughs> It's a fabulous publication. I would absolutely recommend it. Okay. But she uses as one of her source, Dr. Robert Garofalo, who's the director of the Gender Development Program at Lurie Children's Hospital in Mm -hmm. Chicago. So an extremely accomplished physician who acknowledges that there's no form, no scale, no psychological battery of tests that needs to be done to diagnose a child as transgender. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I think a lot of people, when they enter into this debate, they have a compassion for a child, especially who is uncomfortable in his or her own skin, who recognizes some changes that he or she is going through that are difficult to account. And they say, oh, this child is diagnosed as transgender. Mm-hmm. And that means that there's some kind there's of some... recognition that there's that there's a, there's an experience of dysmorphia there. However, there's no scientific method for actually right. proving that. Yes. There's none. Yeah, there's, yeah, that's, that's, and that, you know, this is the one where we've said for a while, this is a cliche, but trust the science, this sort of trust the experts. But again, with an ideology, or when you when you wonder if an ideology is becoming a little too crazy or a little too ideological, um, an ideological ideology is is when it does it cuts stops discourse and then it also doesn't show any credentials. So the sense of we do believe we're rooted in reality, there should be empirical tests to things like this. Um, even psychical phenomena should have structures to them. So, yes. so in, in the psychological realm, you should be able to, there are psychical laws that this is what, for the be, in its best part, psychology studies. And so there should be, even with these kind of things, even this related to the body, there should be some standard measure that can say they have these kind of thoughts in this way. And you could, maybe there would be an example of that, but if you just say, no, whatever they claim is right, whatever you claim, no, I, if it's a real phenomena, it's going to be structured, whether it's structured physically, empirically, or psychically, it'll have some structure because the world is ordered and organized in some fashion. I was thinking about your uh, the comment about uh, people being uncomfortable in their bodies, um, and uh, the very first line of, oh, what is it, Porphyry's biography of Plutinus, in the th- or th- <laughs> yes, 200s. Yes, yes, he says, yes. Never, has anyone, never was anyone so uncomfortable in his body as Plutinus. Um, <laughs> And yet it would have never occurred to any ancient Greek or Plotinus that perhaps Plotinus was a woman. Um, that there is at some point a, a difference, a relationship between our bodies, even there, recogni- recognizing-wise. Um, so that that's something you know, that we can appreciate and understand in this, but then need not, at least it didn't for 1,800 years, um, make uh, this possible, this sort of the transgender idea. The other thing I think is when we think of never denying, of something, something that's grasping on this is, it is true that that masculinity is not just maleness, that there is a difference between a biological foundation and a psychical development and a soci- and a sociocultural phenomenon. That these are that these are not the same things, right? We're very it's very important that as humans, we're not just animals. Like we're rational animals, which means we exist in a psychical and a social and a cultural milieu that we bring about concepts and all this. So that we're not just 
basic biological animals and that therefore we should get rid of the notion of man and woman and just stick to male and female. It's interesting that on the other side, you might think if that was the case, if that was, if it was, if we were just biology and if those who are traditionalists like ourselves, or I don't know, let's say humans like ourselves, um, you would just say, well, we're just going to stick with male and female. That's easier to do this, but it doesn't work because there are, there are degrees of, of, of masculinity. It does describe a real phenomenon. The concern, I suppose, for us is to say that um, it should that development, masculinity and femininity, manhood and womanhood, should be a development out of the base of something, not in deep conflict with something. You know, and my concern with trans mm -hmm. the ideological yes. component is an ideology that's when it starts separating from reality can say things like, "It looks this way, but it's actually the opposite." And that's when you should, if you, if something is so disparate from reality and what they're saying, then you might say, uh, I wonder if this isn't just an ideology and not actually an account of reality. And so the man and woman are different than male and female, but they should have some, it's, at least in my mind, because we are rational animals, animals that are developed animals, not no longer animals, but we're animals in the best sense. In a sense, masculinity should be maleness in a developed, rational sense. And it should be related to us. And I think we, we're so used to a modern scientific skepticism, where if I look at that, don't worry, I don't know if I can trust my senses, this sort of thing, that maybe everything's totally different. Maybe I'm just a brain in a vat. Maybe it's all simulation. This stuff is, well, it's ideologically crazy, but I think we have this natural sense that we give it more hearing than we ought. Right. I, I certainly agree with that. I mean, part of what's being contested, you know, is is exactly what you're pointing to is our encounter with reality. I mean, and for a Christian, there's a deeply, deeply problematic um, philosophy to deal with because for a Christian, the created world is received. Mm -hmm. It's made by yeah. a creator who intended yeah. it by design to be a certain way, which poses extremely difficult questions about about uh, about God's intentionality, if He would make a frustrated being like this, yeah. and that 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 that's a that that yeah. is a complicated philosophical question that's not being asked by by people who are proposing this vision yeah. of reality who are Christians. You know, Christians believe that reality is received. I am not a creature of my own making. I was made by God. I was made this way by God. I was given this body, this soul mm -hmm. by God, and all of that it reflects God's intentionality and God's design, and that that. That is a sticking point that it, that is not being addressed in this debate. So, so I think um, what what we need to do mm -hmm. is we need to not pass over mm -hmm. those fundamental aspects of Catholic human anthropology. Yeah, because we have we we have a philosophical understanding of of who we are that 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 can counter and can engage this. And so uh, our work then is to, is to begin to develop it, and we're beginning to see this from our bishops. Thank God. So they've, mm -hmm. they've written some, some extremely helpful things. There was an instruction, for example, that was passed by the U.S. Bishops' Doctrine Committee on, uh, it was a, a pastoral, uh, pastoral work on transgenderism that had an, a number of important points, one of which was the limits of medical transition. Mm -hmm. um, what kinds of interventions can be done on a person experiencing gender dysphoria? Mm -hmm. And uh, these these bioethical issues are at the forefront of this debate because um, because what is being contended is that we now have the technology to refashion ourselves according to our own designs or according to our own making, yeah. right? Which means, oh, I don't like my body the way that it is. I'll just go to a hospital. 
and charge a bazillion dollars to my insurance company and become a lifetime medical patient so that I can have some kind of new modern scientific intervention in my body. I think we should be talking about that. Yes, yes. I mean, and again, the ideological component to this, and maybe I feel like we're striking hard in the ideology component, maybe even though it's the AP Press, we should say, hey, you can't, it's... This is the best way to describe it, this ideological component. Again, there are people's experiences, psychological trauma, psychological experiences, all of that. But then there's the, it's the encoding of the language around this and what it is. The kind of telling top down by people, in politi- usually in political realms, um, what this is. Uh, that encodes a particular way we're supposed to talk about. And really what's important about it is that it's against a Christian account of reality. And I think this is why um, this is not going to go away. Uh, and it's also something that we ought to be attentive to and take seriously. I think sometimes on the personal, let me divide this way, on the personal level, compassion and, and listening to people is always always necessary. Like when you're dealing with a person, uh, one-to-one, you have to treat them as a person. And the trick with transgender ideology is sometimes we can take the same way we respond to persons and treat that as the way we ought to respond to societies, sort of institutions. But institutions aren't persons, I mean, maybe legally and fictionally, they're fictional persons, but they're not real persons that have feelings and have to be treated and have to and have weaknesses and, and have sufferings and all this. Institutions don't do that sort of thing. Institutions need to be set up for the persons. But institutions themselves need to be looked at with an objective, hard, real talk kind of lens. And the concern with my concern with transgender, transgender ideology is no matter how pastoral we ought to treat people and we ought to treat people, we ought not to extend that kind of treatment to institutions. So our political regime and this language, whether it be from newspapers or from politicals, this is a, that's the whole point of the American project is we get to fight in public about how we see society. We'll be, we'll be pastoral and sensitive and compassionate to each other as we ought, but in the political realm, you know, people might not like a little bit of, of fighting, but this is the American project is founded upon. And this is an issue that, because it strikes against the core notions of Christian reality, if we don't give up, on, if we give up on this one here, um, we're gonna give up on a lot down the road. There is no element of this debate that is benign. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think someone that I would point to as a great example mm-hmm. who is who is hosting this dialogue well, who is doing this, who is doing this brilliantly in the public square, it's Archb- Archbishop Coakley out okay. in Oklahoma City. Yeah, absolutely fantastic job. I mean, they, they've par- part of that is driven by their state's politics, um, his state's politics. There's a, there's a there's a certain um, there's a certain uh, there's a certain drive amongst Oklahomans, right, mm-hmm. uh, to to be among those states that have outlawed medical interventions for children. Mm-hmm. I think there are 16 states now yeah. um, that, that, have, that have made that rightly illegal. Uh, so, so he's been very active in, in, a political, in the political sphere. But then when he wrote about this issue to Catholics in his diocese, he, he took a tone that was extremely compassionate, extremely pastoral, offering lots of practical advice, especially for parents mm-hmm. who, are, who are the ones really, at, really who are facing this question. Because of because of what their kids are are going through. Um, so, for example, some of the tips that he gave uh, are that we can never surrender the use of someone's uh, someone's proper pronouns, um, mm-hmm. meaning the pronouns that are proper to that person's yeah. sex. Um, we can't surrender that or or engage that. 
He suggests, however, that for, for a period of time, especially in family life, it might be beneficial to use a name or a nickname mm-hmm. uh, that, that can ease tension and keep pathways open for dialogue. So I, so I completely agree that something like that um, could, be, could be very helpful. Another point that he emphasizes is uh, that parents cannot make this question or this aspect of what their child is experiencing the only thing they talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what you're suggesting here is that there's a there's a different element to uh, how we react to people with whom we have deep mm-hmm. relationships, yeah. um, as a as opposed to how how it is that we react uh, on issues in the public square, and that's that's a completely legitimate thing and mandates. Uh, from us calls from us to for two different responses. Yeah, I think it's it it's helpful to demarcate this and to have courage in a sense. If I had some, it, it, so you've given some practical advice about the pronouns used, which is very difficult and tricky. But um, we care about being truthful about our speech, uh, and so it's it's one of those matters where it's not worth compromising on on, on that. Um, although there is no. There's no reason to make someone unnecessarily uncomfortable. So if again, as you say, if they have a different name or something, then that that might be perfectly acceptable. But naming reality, uh, that's a different matter. So but the personal approach and realizing that this needs, you know, care and compassion and all that deep relationships is different than how we ought to deal with with this in in, in the public square. I would say that I've been thinking um, more about the need for courage on this issue. Um, that and clarity and clarity, yeah, and a, I think in perhaps a sustained front, and that you know, the when I spoke about the ideology part is if you remember or if you keep the ideology focused to this, and I think it is an ideology, uh, and I think you can show point out reasons why that is the case, then ideologies are are something we can be against in public spheres. I think about in the 1950s. Oh dear, I'm going to go back to Marxism. Um, <laughs> I mean, we as Americans were, you know, if you watch, uh, it's amazing to watch Life is Worth Living and uh, Archbishop Sheen. And uh, and there's just always communism. Communism is always the <laughs> Marxist ideology and all this kind of stuff. Now, I'm not saying that we should have a campaign to, uh, and, and, you know, Star Wars program and a Reaganite move against uh, transgender in that way. All I'm saying is that as a public, we were we were okay with with calling ideologies for what they were, even though you might have known a communist and a socialist sympathizer or something. Perhaps I'd say something similar in the transgender thing is that we've been, I think as Christians, we we get bullied sometimes into worried about what we'll look like yes. to people and that we ought to be nice. But if you read the accounts of the martyrs and you read the accounts of the early church, when a state was trying to impose something that was actually harmful and, and against uh, the true worship of God, as you talk about the notion God is creator and all of this, this is tied up in transgender accounts of what the world is and how God is and who God is in terms of him making mistakes and this kind of stuff. Um, we ought not, we ought to take that seriously and realize that transgender ideology and transgender discussion is not just a social matter, but it's a, it's a deeply religious matter. It's a matter about who we are as Christians. And therefore, if we're on the right side of it, as I deem we are, um, we should be courageous to speak up and not going out and attacking, but when someone brings it up, say, this is actually a really important issue, and I don't just feel strongly and sense of personally passionate about it, but I have intellectual commitments and faith commitments that mean that this is against those, and I'm I'm very concerned about this. And to feel confident that actually, at the end of the day, uh, we will win, although it's not clear at all how that's going to work. This attack on sexual difference undermines our most fundamental institutions that we've been talking about, um, our, our belief in God, 
uh, but also our our understanding of the family. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that I think that we should not be shy about how this ideology aims to destroy our children's relationships to their parents, to the role that a child's mother and a child's father have to play. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. in that child's life, um, in the mother and the father's desire to bring the child up as a fundamentally religious person, yeah. because this, this ideology rejects religion in most instances, you know, and, and understands Christianity as the kind of thing opposed to it. So, so part of what it does is it inherently places itself at odds with a, with a parent's desire to raise their children in a religious setting. Um, and then again, because of the rejection of or the compromised understanding of sexual difference fun- fundamentally undermines uh, the family as such. We've we've got a huge problem on yeah. our hands um, that 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 is beyond beyond just a kind of reimagining of a social construct. This is this yeah. is a, this is a radically different claim yeah. about who we are, how we were made, and what we were for. Yeah, that's what. And again, that's what ideologies they're they're um, universal. And therefore, they strike at everything uh, because once they separate from reality, you can't you can't keep them from getting in and f- changing everything around it. They're not isolated. Um, so that's yeah. Well, we have to pray about it too. Um, and we started with the uh, the prayer, the Dominican Rosary pilgrimage, and I think Mary interceding to, uh, with asking for her intercession on this uh, is 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 also important. But that's where we'll have to leave it for now. There's plenty of more conversations about this. So thanks for those listening uh, to this episode in God's Planning. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. Share this episode if people are wondering about transgender ideology and trying to figure out. We're all trying to sort this out. Uh, this Again, the destabilizing position we're in, but with care, compassion, with prayer and love. Um, so if you if you enjoy this podcast, please donate. Uh, Join to us on Patreon. I'll follow the link in the description for that. You can follow us also the link to find. You can follow the link also in the description for information on merchandise, upcoming events. I want to mention just two. First off, the Rosary Pilgrimage uh, that's happening in just a little bit over a week, so September 30th, at the National Shrine. So please look on the website for that. If you're around the area, please join for it. You're some Dominican preaching. Meet some Dominicans there. Uh, we always love to, love to see you in person. Also, we have the Young Adults Retreat, which is a uh, not on transgender, but on cultural, on relativism and the Catholic faith, although these are connected. Um, so if you want to come on November 3rd through 5th at Malvern, we'd love to have you there. Look on the website of God's Planning for how to sign up and to uh, submit requests for that or and look on for more information. We'd love to have you there November 3rd through the 5th in Malvern, Pennsylvania. For us here, though, uh, that's it. If you pray for us, we promise we'll be praying for you. And we'll catch you next time on God's Planning.